1: Hello, everyone. This is the Daily D.C. Impeachment Watch, a podcast that brings you the latest reporting and analysis of this historic moment in American history. I'm Zach Wolf, a senior writer here at CNN and the publisher of CNN's Impeachment Watch newsletter. Please subscribe to that newsletter at CNN.com slash impeachment. Today, I'm filling in for regular host David Chalian on the podcast. This is the last episode before a brief holiday hiatus. So we want to preview the next steps in the impeachment battle. I've got two fantastic guests to help me do just that. In a few minutes, we'll be talking with Sarah Isger, a CNN political analyst and a staff writer at The Dispatch. But first, I'm joined by my colleague, CNN reporter and producer, Marshall Cohen. Welcome back to the podcast, Marshall. Thank you, Zach. Since you you were on the most recent episode of this podcast, and between then and now, uh, there was a weekend and there was also... Semi-major development in uh, the timeline of this whole Ukraine scandal, and that development is that we saw an email uh, from Mike Duffy, uh, an OMB official, uh, detailing that he was officially putting a hold on the you know the the, the military, the secure and security aid that was set to go to Ukraine. And this is such a big deal because it occurred about ninety minutes after the phone call on July 25th between President Trump and Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. Uh, We've spent a lot of time on on this program and certainly in the Impeachment Watch newsletter, and I know you've written entire stories about everything that happened on July 25th, reconstructing that day. The, the, The fact that we see this new email is important to me for two reasons. Number one, it shows... There's a lot of stuff we still don't know about what happened that day. And Democrats, interesting, you know, trying to get this done. They're not waiting for court orders. They're not waiting for the entire fact pattern to emerge. So I think that's a really important point. And this shows us there's stuff um, that we don't know. But it also, I think more importantly than that, shows us that all of the evidence that we get about that day and about this Ukrainian scandal seems to reinforce the fact pattern, what we know about it, that Trump pressured Zelensky and that the aid was held up. So those are kind of the two things I see. And they're sort of, say, opposite things here. But what do you you know, you see this email, what what runs through your head? And you've spent more time thinking about specific moments in that day than anybody. else. Sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great point, Zach. Uh, This is not exculpatory for the president. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's a smoking gun of what his critics have accused him of doing, per se, but it doesn't help. Um, You know, zoom out for a second, right? We got these documents after uh, a transparency group filed a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit against the Office of Management and Budget. So the Democrats in Congress want these exact same emails. In fact, they subpoenaed the White House and they subpoenaed. OMB, the budget office, for documents about Ukraine and about the holdup of assistance. So let's just be totally clear. Democrats, a few months back, while they were launching and beginning this investigation, asked for these documents. And the president gave the directive to the entire administration, do not cooperate, don't turn over anything. And the Democrats ultimately said that they thought that that was tantamount to a unconstitutional, unconstitutional offense, which became article two of the impeachment. So these are documents that Democrats think are important to the impeachment investigation. We are lucky to see them now because of a FOIA lawsuit and because a judge ruled the right way and because the judge set the schedule for when it would be coming out quickly. They could set it for whatever they want. They could have said it come out in February or or June for whatever reason. So there's a little bit of luck here. So that's part one. Part two, the actual content of the message. And it dives deep into July 25th, 2019, as you mentioned, this critical day. There was so much more happening that day than just the phone call with the president. There were so many things happening behind the scenes. Um, and it really tells you the story of who knows what, what was going on. And there are some people that do know. Michael Duffy, this political appointee at OMB. Uh, Mike Pompeo who was on that phone call and communicates regularly with the president John Bolton who was the president's national security advisor and later talked one-on-one with the president about The military freeze for Ukraine. So this tells us a tiny little nugget of what happened But it also to me tells us that there is so much more that we don't know. It's true.
1: And it's so interesting, because Democrats are now trying, essentially, in the House, they were trying to speed the process up, and now the shoe is on the other foot. They're trying, essentially, to slow it down and say, we need more testimony. We need to see, you know, what else we can learn. And and Chuck Schumer was talking about this at at an event. He told reporters — take a listen to this — how important he thinks this new uh, set of emails is. If there was ever an argument that we need Mr. Duffy to come testify, This is that information. This email is explosive. A top administration official, one that we requested, is saying, stop the aid 91 minutes after Trump called Zaleski and said, keep it hush-hush. What more do you need to request a witness? Okay, so Democrats want to have these witnesses that they were unable to have during impeachment hearings because the White House essentially obstructed them. And as you said, that's one of the reasons they're now they have impeached Trump is for obstructing Congress. But I think what we've also learned is that so much of this stuff is gettable. If you go to the courts, it takes longer, but you have the ability to go to the courts and say, give us this information and the courts will say yes.
2: I mean, Democrats made a political calculation that they needed to strike when the iron was hot. This Ukraine scandal emerged in in September. Pelosi launched the inquiry, uh, I think, September 24th. The first witnesses were coming in first week of October. The uh, public hearings were in November, and the vote was in December, right? So boom, boom, boom. Uh, Another strategy would be to take it slow, go to the courts, and you can ask the courts to rule quickly, expeditiously, they don't have to agree to that, but you can seek emergency relief from courts and have them try to enforce these subpoenas. It would probably be appealed all the way to the top, as is happening right now with the Don McGann case, former White House counsel. But you could at least have that talking point in your back pocket saying we are using literally every tool in the toolbox. They are not doing that right now. Um, going back to what Schumer said, you know, is this explosive, Maybe. I mean, it's, I don't think this is a, a smoking gun of criminality by the president, right, which is something that would help the Democrats make their case. What it, this is is further evidence uh, of what was happening on the day of that call, because you remember that the president never actually during that call connected the military assistance to the investigations of Biden. He never explicitly told Zelensky, made the connection and now, it, it happened right after Zelensky brought up the javelin missiles, the, the anti-tank weapons, the defense help. And the moment after he said that, Trump said, I want a favor, though. But he never explicitly made the connection. So then you ask yourself, well, once that call was over, did they? was there a conversation in the White House among some people saying, all right, now we need to go to OMB. Now we need to go to the budget folks and have them put this freeze in because— you know, and Democrats have been saying the because is because we want to get those investigations from Ukraine. Um, I think any reasonable person would say that if you were trying to build a case here or find out the truth, Michael Duffy, the OMB official, would be an important person to hear from. But that's clearly not the prerogative of of Republicans in the Senate. They would need four Republican senators to break ranks and vote with the Democrats in order to call someone like him to testify. And Zach, I'll be honest, we've been listening to what some of these moderates have been saying. We've been listening to what some of the people that are up for re-election this year have been saying. And so far, there is no visible appetite among any Republican senators to call any additional witnesses, including Mr. Duffy.
1: So just to quickly wrap up what the fact pattern is call occurs aid is held and then we know from the testimony of laura cooper that the ukrainian embassy the state department people were asking about that on the same day so it's it's there's nothing else that really knew something was up explains it i i you know i just can't get over the idea that we will be finding out facts about this case after the trial for impeachment
2: if i may zach Uh, You know, that's a really interesting point because it's clear, you know, Democrats want to convict him. Republicans want to acquit him like everyone's in their camps. Right. But that wild card here is once everything is said and done, if all the Republicans hold the line and vote to keep Trump in office, it's possible. It's plausible that there may be a day, one day where some of these emails, more damning emails come out. Or someone like a John Bolton decides to reveal something in his book, where they might find themselves uh, looking not so good. But of course, it's a trade-off, right? You, you can you can take a little bit of a PR mess in exchange for continued political power. I mean, they've gotten a lot of big things done with Trump in office, so it's a trade.
1: Yep. Uh, okay, Marshall. Let's hold it right there. Sarah Isker is set to join the conversation, but first, this quick break. Welcome back to the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. I'm Zach Wolf. reporter Marshall Cohen is still with me, and we're pleased to welcome Sarah Isker, who is both a staff writer at The Dispatch and a CNN political analyst. Sarah, thanks for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: You know a thing or two about the courts and how all this works. Um, What do you make of this sort of idea that I think is, it's clear, we will know more about what happened on that day long after this impeachment saga is done, simply because Democrats, if. If, yeah, if. if if it ever ends, yeah, it could just, it could be impeachment <laughs> limbo forever.
3: And if the courts actually reach these questions, um, one of the things we've seen, for instance, on the Supreme Court taking the three tax-related cases for the president, um, Nixon and Clinton both had cases like this, and I want to use that term very loosely, where they claimed some type of broad immunity. And in both cases, the court said no to a very broad immunity. That is similar to what we're talking about here with broad executive privilege that no one from the executive branch can go and testify. Uh, At the same time, on those financial cases, but also on these, there are going to be some limits that the court set, whether they want to set them now. The court is famous, of course, for trying to uh, decide things as narrowly as possible. And they certainly did in Nixon and Clinton. It's really just the facts before them. But I think it's uh, frustrating. And politically, I think Marshall's, I mean, a thousand percent right on why Pelosi did it the way she did. Uh, I think she is one of the best political strategists of the last, you know, generation by far. But Legally, it's frustrating that they didn't wait to let some of that go through the courts because, to your point, we're going to be finding out facts now, trickling out for months, maybe after the trial is over. Uh, maybe, you know, if he wins re election, there's a second term. Could they impeach him again based on new information because the court process took so long? So um, I think Democrats politically did the smart thing in the short term. It is yet to be seen whether long term, based on those court cases, Uh, They'll regret not spending a little more time to get that sorted out.
1: Well, and the asterisk that we should always put next to that Don McGahn case that you mentioned, former White House counsel, uh, they actually are trying to get him to testify as part of the Mueller report proceedings. So it it actually predates Ukraine and it could post-date Ukraine. And that's only testimony for one person.
2: Can I give you let me give you another asterisk, Zach. That whole case, which is taking months, many months. The entire question of that case, the question that the courts are grappling with is, does he need to show up or not? Then it has nothing to do with once he shows up, does he have to talk? Correct. That's the decision
3: so far, Is the blanket immunity issue, not the individual question immunity. Uh, And of course, now there's the mootness question. You talked about emergency relief from the courts. But of course, if the trial in the Senate is already over, it's very hard to tell a court this is an emergency, for right. instance. They'd so have that's to argue. done. They'd have to
2: maybe argue in a filing and say, we're keeping the possibility open right. for future articles,
1: which would be, I mean, that would make some waves. <laughs> Right. The the second impeachment will (laughs) turn all of our hair gray. This pod is already
3: moving to second impeachment. That's what we're here to do. (laughs) Well, the
1: first one feels like a foregone conclusion. Or if you're Donald Trump, the first one feels like it doesn't even exist. He's almost turned into a sort of impeachment truther. Take a listen to how he referred to this process in Florida at a rally.
0: We had a
2: lot
1: of no votes and the Senate now is, how about about that deal where they had nothing. There's no crime. There's no nothing. How do you impeach? You had no crime. Even their people said there was no crime. In fact, there's no impeachment. There's no—their own lawyers said there's no impeachment. What are we doing here? Okay, what are we doing here?
3: So I heard that a little differently than you did, I think. I heard him when he says there's no impeachment, referring to the fact of whether he has technically been impeached because the House has not given the articles to the Senate, that he is saying he has not been impeached yet. And that's what he means by their own lawyer said there's no impeachment, meaning you have to wait for Pelosi to give the articles over to the Senate. This, of course, is a fun little constitutional footnote that we can all spend a second on. Um, No one is an expert on when a president is impeached. Is it when the House voted for it or is it when those articles are transmitted to the Senate? And this is where I love Twitter because all of a sudden we have constitutional experts like on every Twitter account, similar to like missing plane experts and hurricane experts. Um, so everyone is today a constitutional expert on impeachment. But the truth is impeachment a political process. And, uh, and here we are where we're in this weird limbo of, is the president impeached? I know every headline said that, but if do you want to be really technical about it, the House has voted to approve articles of impeachment, but they haven't been transmitted to the Senate.
1: I feel like he's impeached and not yet tried.
3: That is a completely valid opinion.
1: But we, we, we yeah. get into splitting hairs here. I'm not confused
2: about it. I think he's impeached. Yeah. I mean, if they pass a bill...
3: Well, then in the, the Senate doesn't need to wait for the articles to be transmitted. If he's been impeached, the Senate can hold the trial now, in which case what Nancy Pelosi is doing is a meaningless nothing burger. Yeah. But if you think it's meaningful, it means he has not been impeached.
1: Well, it all predates C-SPAN when the House and the Senate were operating separately and somebody would actually have to go from the House to the Senate and yes. tell them what happened.
3: Now that we have that tram, it's really ruined everything.
1: Right.
2: <laughs> and one more thing on that Trump quote. There's no, you know, he said, I think, two or, two or three times. There's no crime. How do you impeach when there's no crime? No one in no legal scholar and the Constitution in no way says that there must be a crime, uh, a federal crime committed to impeach the president. Jonathan Turley. Uh,
3: Well, no, because of course, at the time that the Constitution's written, there were common law crimes, but there were no statutory crimes. 18 U.S.C. has all come later.
2: Well, that's just not what that's not what it is, though. Yeah. Right. I mean, it helps. There should be. I think the American people clearly understood that Bill Clinton perjured himself under oath. That's pretty simple. He lied. That's a crime. Now he gets impeached. But... um,
1: Marshall, you know, that, I encourage you to go Google uh, Arlen Specter from that era who acquitted based on Scottish law. I'm um, <laughs> that was
2: my old senator. I'm from Pennsylvania. There you go. Uh, my, my dad taught me all about that. Not proven. Right, not was proven, that, therefore Rhode Rhode not guilty. Inspector
1: uh, found a middle ground on that. Yeah. Okay. So we were deep actually tracks right yeah. Yeah. Deep, deep tracks now. Deep tracks. <laughs> Impeachment deep tracks. Uh, we were actually supposed to talk about polling <laughs> yes. and uh, and and politics in this block, but uh, forgot to do that because we got sucked into the into the courts. Sarah, uh, what are you seeing in the polls that is of interest to you right now, um, and, uh, and 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 kind of lay out how all this is working in in twenty twenty land.
3: So. Full caveats, right? It's early. Polling is polling. I think the best thing... (laughs) That's
1: another... So pay only half attention to (laughs) all the things I'm about (laughs) to say. Everything I'm about to say.
3: No, that's not true. But you'll see a lot of uh, excitement and flair over single polls... Polling averages, I think, are very relevant in, in these cases. The polling average, which everyone knows, is that it has stagnated. Uh, you had an uptick in late September, early October, when this like thing really hit, I think, the public consciousness. And since then, it has stagnated, maybe ticked down a little. The poll that I found most interesting was one that was not a, you know, you answer your phone, do you support impeachment poll? But it was a um a democracy fund poll that used a totally different type of polling and we don't need to get into that now but what it found was that for republicans the number one issue and that's against immigration guns border wall you name it the number one issue was impeachment by a lot uh, on the democratic side the number one issue was family separation and immigration, followed very closely by impeachment, followed very closely by uh, gun control. And and there were many, many issues clumped up there of most important. And I think what that tells us is for Democrats, really, the most important thing is winning in 2020. Uh, and for Republicans, the most important thing is keeping their guy in office. And so I think when you do look at these impeachment polls, whether it's stagnating, ticking one way or the other... That is sort of the umbrella thing to think about, is this has turned into a purely political fight. It was nearly purely political during Clinton, um, but it was not even close to this political, I think, during Nixon. And so what happens when you move this close to an election? Not surprisingly, uh, every four years we get far more partisan uh, polling results. No different right now. You're moving into 2020. And so everyone's going to their corners.
1: Let me just um, add a a caveat to your your poll. I'm not completely familiar with that one specifically, but Jennifer Agesta, our uh, director of polling, uh, would love to um, tell us that, you know, we should only pay attention to certain polls. So, you know, all all these polls have to be taken with with, with different grains of salt, depending on if they're, you know, landline polls, if they're cell phone polls, if they're online polls, etc. I think clearly impeachment is a motivating factor for a lot of Republicans, and that also is what Trump wants us to believe. Uh, So final point, if he is reelected, will it be because of or in spite of his impeachment?
3: I think we are a long way off from November. And what we saw in 2016, at least my own take on what happened when the election was a referendum on Donald Trump, which we saw right after the Access Hollywood tape, I think he would have lost the election when the referendum became about Hillary Clinton in the last four days of that election after the Jim Comey press conference, uh, people walked into the booth and asked whether they wanted Hillary Clinton to be president. And they answered no. Uh, So I don't think that impeachment will be the defining moment 10 months from now, 11 months from now. um, But it certainly has set the ball rolling.
1: That's really that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of the 2016 election exactly like that. I think that's really smart. Marshall, you got five words. (laughs)
2: Uh, Well, I mean, looking ahead to next year. uh, Look, everybody thought that that government shutdown last year was going to play huge on the uh, midterms. And like a billion things happened in between and everyone forgot about it. Impeachment's a little bit bigger than that. Uh, You know, I'll concede that point. But, you know, one thing we know, ironclad about the Trump era is that there is an explosion of news and developments and scandal and controversy every day. Uh, it it sounds funny to say it now, but impeachment might seem like a long, long time ago by the time everybody goes to vote next November.
3: The Ferris Bueller theory. Life moves at you pretty fast in the Trump era. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, and just to think of, it was only in you September none of us were thinking about uh, Ukraine or any of this. Okay, Marshall, Sarah, thank you for joining me on the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. And thanks to our listeners. We're going to take a short break for the holidays, but we'll return next week with new episodes. So please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a rating or comment. It helps people find the show. Happy holidays,
0: everyone, and we will see you next week.